This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, Trace here. Welcome back to Secret Plus. Today, we're going to rebroadcast episode number 26, all about stereotypes, where they come from, why they exist, and why they are so hard for humans to just let go of. This is a really interesting episode, so I won't keep you holding here. Let's just kick right into it. We stereotype immediately and unconsciously all the time. Let me give you some examples. Asians are good at math, right? Women are bad drivers. Olds don't know how to internet. Like, these are all things that people stereotype about, but are any of these true? Probably not. You probably stereotyped me as soon as this episode started. In a fraction of a second, you thought, oh, it's got gender, race, age. So then you picked the social groups that I belong to and then categorized me and put me into some box that made your brain happy. We stereotype or categorize because it's ingrained in us. It's part of being human. Now, stereotyping is generally a bad thing. You know, we don't want to make broad generalizations and assumptions that define individuals. That's not healthy. But what the brain initially intended stereotyping to do was there was a way to interact more efficiently. You take information, you process it, and simplify it. You generally wouldn't ask an elderly woman to help you change a tire or ask a kid if they could bum a smoke because stereotypically speaking, that elderly woman isn't going to be able to help you change the tire particularly easily, and children probably don't have a pack of smokes on them. You could be wrong, because stereotypes frequently are, but you're probably not wrong. Our brain developed a system to store anything we absorb from society, whether it's true or not true, and put it into a spectrum of similarity. Anything and everything can be viewed or heard, can be read or smelled or tasted. That's all interpreted by our brain and added to this file that we can then pull from later. It's processed in this way. Let's walk through the brain a little bit. The temporal lobe processes sensory input into meaning and then works with the anterior temporal lobe, which stores knowledge about people and social groups. And then the dorsal medial prefrontal cortex, which supports the formation of impressions because that's what the cortex does. It gives context, which is then used by the inferior frontal gyrus to decide whether a situation is safe or not. With all these different parts of our brain, we create patterns, and then make predictions that make us more comfortable being out in the world. Stereotyping is a byproduct of this simplification system. The shortcuts that we use we call stereotyping because brains are lazy. Rather than pull all of the information from each individual person we meet, we say, oh, well, they got that shirt from this store. They're probably this kind of person. They like that kind of music, so they probably also like these other things. Rather than asking every single person the same thing, everybody who likes some band, like, I don't know, Bare Naked Ladies, probably also likes other bands related to that. Rather than ask every person, it's easier to just use shortcuts. Now, our brain actually does this not only with people but it does it with other things too. Stereotyping or categorizing objects around us is essential so that we understand those objects. Let me give you a non-person example. When you look at a fork, your brain uses all its previous knowledge about every fork that you've ever seen or handled 
and then builds a stereotype about forks. You can tell what the fork is made of, how it feels, and what its purpose is. And sometimes you can do all of that without ever touching it because your brain has those shortcuts built in. This saves you energy and time, saves your brain processing power, and you don't have to learn what a fork is every time you want to eat dinner. Unfortunately, the brain doesn't take into consideration that utensils and people are different things. People have feelings, and utensils usually don't. Categorizing people can hurt feelings, and it can also be dangerous and unhealthy and just downright dickish. If you think you're not stereotyping, chances are you're lying to yourself. Everybody stereotypes, even the most conscious and mindful person. Psychologist Wim Denies of Leuven University conducted a study. There is a thousand people in a room, and you were told 995 of them are lawyers and five of them are engineers. So if we picked a person at random and talked to that person, and that person says they have little interest in social issues or politics, but they really like mathematical problems, would you decide that that is a lawyer or an engineer? Despite the dominating statistics, people are going to rely on their stereotypes and will probably guess that this is an engineer and not a lawyer. But what if you said, just for a second, you're like, wait a minute, brain, there is a 99.5% chance that this person is actually a lawyer. They just like math. So say lawyer. So Wim Denai's study says that even though, rationally speaking, this is a room of almost all lawyers your stereotyping detector is going off so strongly that you're like, that's got to be an engineer. I just hit one of the five of them in this room of 1,000 people. Like, that's how strong stereotyping can be. It seems to me that there's actually no way of escaping stereotypes. When I was a kid, I looked at my dad, and we started talking about this when I first started to realize that stereotyping was a thing. I saw something on the news, and we started talking about it, and I realized that Human stereotypes so strongly that if we were blind, we would probably say that you sound funny. Where are you from? You sound funny. What's different about you? You would start to stereotype just not based on how people look. And if you were blind and you were deaf, then you would stereotype based on how people smell. And if you were blind and deaf and couldn't smell anything, maybe it would be you feel funny. Like humans stereotype at such a base level that it's very difficult to get rid of. And it plays such an important part in the way that we gather information. It doesn't mean that it's a good way to do it. It just means that it's part of being human. If stereotypes play such a prevalent part of our daily life, it might have some basis in truth. Maybe. Like a little bit of truth that's consistently and systematically absorbed since the beginning of your existence. But the truth that you at least experienced at one point in life that then created a stereotype. It's kind of like being in a losing game of tug of war. What about the media? The media is sort of in the business of reaffirming stereotypes. Let's take some examples from my childhood. Video games. Mario. That is like a stereotype that runs around inside of your Nintendo, man. It's an Italian plumber with like a really bad accent and a silly mustache and a big nose and and like... He wears coveralls everywhere he goes, and he jumps around on Goombas. This is weird. It's full of stereotypes. Then there's Super Punch-Out. 
Don't even get me started on this one. Okay, get me started, because I just started myself on it. Stereotypical portrayal up and down this whole game. The arcade version had an Italian fighter named Pizza Pasta. There was a guy who was French who was weak and went down easy named Glass Joe. There was a Russian guy named Soda Papinski. Originally, his name was not that. It was Vodka Drunkinski. So, you know, they just made it a little nicer. This is awful. Stereotypes all over the place. Street Fighter 2 has so many stereotypes, it basically just borders on racism. There's Dalsim, who has face paint, does yoga, it's an Indian guy, and he has shrunken skulls around his neck. There's Blanca, which is a wild beast man, representing a Brazilian Amazon. There's Zangief, which is like a Russian bear wrestling monster of a man who grunts in incomplete sentences like Vladimir Putin. Have you ever noticed how many heroes in movies are stereotypes as well? Like, for example, there are people in movies, all of the guys are like 6'2", brown hair, dark, complected. They kind of look like me, but musclier. Look at your games library. They got this in television, in movies, and in your video games. Mass Effect, Uncharted, Watch Dogs, Red Dead Redemption, Metal Gear Solid. All of these, same lead character. Slight variations. All of that's stereotypical. There's also portrayal in video games of black men as aggressive or obnoxious or sometimes like the witty comic relief. Like think Gears of War, think Halo, think Dead Island. And what's worse is these things might be stereotyping so heavily that they're entering into the realm of racism. One study published by Ohio State University found that white gamers who were forced to play as African-American characters who had these certain stereotypical dispositions were more likely to associate negative behaviors with people of color. They were more likely to act more aggressively toward people of color later after playing as these characters. And that's just video games. That's a pretty powerful medium. But there's something that we do a little more than video games, and that is music. A lot of people listen to music. Some people listen to music all day long, constantly. Certain types of music tend to draw from certain stereotypes. Rap and hip-hop music get a bad rap, not to make a pun, but they're glorifying the depreciation of women in a lot of these songs. They are glorifying gang violence, and many of this enforces some pretty disgusting stereotypes. But at the same time, music and rap as part of that is an art form which makes it very difficult to parse where the stereotypes are, where the characters are, where this is just part of the story of this song. At the same time, though, some of this hip-hop and rap is commercial art. It's out there to influence and to make money. They put this character into this storyline and did this stereotype in order to speak to this group of people so that they will buy your album. It's a really slippery slope to get onto, but it's all stereotypes. Unlike some other musicians, hip-hop artists, at least, are somewhat self-aware of this. In 1989, KRS-One, Cool Modi, MC Light, and a bunch of others jumped on a track called Self-Destruction, and its message and purpose was to warn folks of the damage of stereotypes in hip-hop. Check it out. It's actually pretty awesome. Super meta. Other musical groups also stereotype. Let's not pick on hip-hop and rap, you know. Pop music is all just like, party, 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 we're all going to get drunk, and it's mostly, like, upper-middle-class white kids. Country music is also mostly white people, but of a different social class. And then you replace, like, gang violence or parties with 
maybe what could be construed as trailer park activity, small town activity. You know, the, there's that classic joke, what do you get when you play country music backwards? You get your dog back, you get your truck back, you get your trailer back. These are all stereotypes that the media uses in order to speak to all of us. And it works because we speak this stereotype too. The WWF slash WWE has characters that are embodiments of stereotypes, both good and bad. Yokozuna is a sumo man. He sits on people, and his manager shouts at him in broken English. Yokozuno, number one. That is terrible. Tatanka is a Native American guy, very high energy, uncontrollable. Stone Cold Steve Austin is a beer-drinking, you know, white trash guy, bald with a goatee, leather vest kind of guy. There's the Nation of Domination, which is a black power group. These are all drawn from stereotypes that society already holds. But... When society has these stereotypes, are we making them and then putting them onto the media? Or is the media making them and putting them back onto us? Let's look at commercials and advertising, for example. Calvin Klein, for example, has advertisements where maybe there's like this sun-kissed blonde dude with six-pack on a horse or something. You know, there's also pink razors for women and there's blue stuff for little boys and, you know... Marketing and advertising, they look at society and then they try and target people. And they can and do say whatever they want. If there's a commercial for a dishwasher and they show a mom doing the dishes, is that a stereotype? I mean, it's hard to say because it also could just be targeting. These companies do a lot of research to find out who buys their products. They don't just make ads willy-nilly. So maybe... Women are the ones who buy their products most, so they'd rather feature those women in their ads. The question is, do they then stereotype the women that they feature? Is the woman a white woman who lives in a certain house in a certain neighborhood and talks a certain way? Is the woman a Indian woman who lives in a certain house in a certain place and talks a certain way? That's where the stereotypes come in. Just showing them one way or the other, that's a little more of a gray area. It could just be that the ad's racist, because that happens too sometimes. And then they usually get banned. You can look on YouTube for some of those. Some of them are pretty crazy. But commercials and advertising are more akin to the questions about music and whether they're just targeting a specific demographic. And that brings us to, like, Hollywood. Does Hollywood do that too? Are they just targeting demographics with their stereotyping? There are studies that show that the audience would reject movies that have anything but a white male lead. And they think maybe this has to do with something called the coconut effect. From the days of radio, you would take two halves of coconut, you bang them together, and it was like the standard way to generate the sound effect of a radio program of horse hooves, also used in the classic Monty Python movie. Horses don't actually sound like that, though. I don't know if you've ever heard a horse, but they don't sound like coconuts. And the problem is that the sound became so attached and ingrained in the public consciousness of, okay, this means horse, that when they used a different horse sound in movies, people didn't understand what was happening. That's the coconut effect. And it could be the same with a white male lead. Perhaps people are just so used to seeing a white male lead that they expect to continue to see it. In a 2008 study, this was before Interstellar, before Gravity and The Hunger Games, all with very strong female leads and great box office success, a study showed that men in leading roles sold significantly more tickets. 
based on this 2008 study, the studio is going to gamble on a male lead because it seems as though female leads only make about half as much at the box office. So here are some numbers. Female leads generated in the domestic box office about $54.5 million, whereas male leads generated $101 million. The opening weekend in the box office, $18 million for female leads, $32.2 million for male leads. Even translated into DVD sales, female leads $32.2 million, males $64.6 million. These numbers are strikingly almost half of each other. The male lead making double what the female lead makes in almost every situation. But all of this data is super skewed because the male lead roles traditionally had a larger marketing budget than the female lead roles did. And these are comparable movies. We're looking at blockbuster films. So some people went through this data and they found that if they had even or equal marketing budgets, there should be no difference in the ticket sales between a female lead and a male lead. So does that mean the data is skewed and not us? Or does it mean that we are skewed so we give males more marketing money for their movies? It's hard to say, but it gets worse. The New York Film Academy found that from 2007 to 2012, 28% of all women on screen wore revealing clothing and 26% of all women get partially nude in their acting. Women purchase 50% of all movie tickets. So what's going on here? Why is all these ladies wearing partially, like, revealing clothing, getting kind of naked? Even the UN chimed in on this New York Film Academy study. The Undersecretary General and the Executive Director of UN Women called the study a wake-up call for the global film industry. With their powerful influence, she said, on shaping the perceptions of large audiences, the media are the key players for gender equality agenda. With influence comes responsibility. So maybe it's not actually the audience after all. Maybe it's an equality issue that's also reinforcing and generating these stereotypes. I mean, Hollywood decision makers are deciding what movie they want to make and how much marketing to put behind that movie, not necessarily based on how well the movie's going to do, but how well they trust the lead. And they're going to trust the male lead more, maybe because they themselves are men or because of some other stereotype. Before I explain anything else, though, you may have noticed it's that time of year again, the time when you need thoughtful gifts for loved ones in your life or, hey, yourself, self-care. Very important. Treat yourself. So think about the gift of an Audible membership. Now is the best time to do it because they are running a special offer. Audible has access to an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, mysteries, science fiction novels, and more. I have been listening to Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. It is so good. I really like it, and I get to learn while I ride the bus or do a road trip. And with an Audible membership, you get to choose three titles every single month and you can listen on any device at any time at the gym on your commute on the go you name it right now for a limited time you can get three months of audible for only six dollars and 95 cents a month that is more than half off their regular price give yourself the gift of listening and while you're at it think about giving the gift of audible to someone else on your list as well so for more go to audible.com seeker or text seeker to 500 500 that's a-u-d-i-b-l-e.com slash seeker or text seeker to 500 500 stereotypes can influence so many different things that we do especially when we're not aware of them 
When you think about stereotypes, you probably are thinking like watching this, you know, I, I don't do that. I'm, I'm not that guy. Only bigots use stereotypes like this or like that. But stereotypes are part of who we are. If you take one thing away from this series, take that away. It doesn't mean that they're good. It doesn't mean that they're bad inherently either, but they are part of us. Stereotypes are introduced so early in our child development. Maureen O'Brien, a developmental psychologist who has consulted for companies like Mattel, found that most children don't show any gendered toy preferences when they're young. Boys will play with dolls just as much as girls will gravitate toward Nerf guns. I actually asked for a doll for Christmas one year because I thought, man, this thing's kind of cool. I saw a commercial for it on TV. I thought it was kind of neat. I was really young, and it is kind of weird now that I think about it, but it's only weird because I've been creating these stereotypes my whole life. At the time, I thought it was the greatest. All of our toys are marketed to either girls or boys, even though the kids don't care. Recently, toy manufacturers are catching up to this, and they're realizing that the packaging is gendered, but the toys themselves, they're universal. The kids don't care what the toy is. So Mattel debuted Megablocks Barbie construction sets, and Hasbro released a line of Nerf crossbows for girls. Even Easy Bake Ovens exist now with more masculine colors to make the parents of the kids feel better about buying it for their young boy. But again, in reality, the kid doesn't care. Target is even moving away from gender-based signs in their toy sections. When it comes to child development, though, we're not saying kids are perfect. Stereotypes toward race do happen fairly early in child development. In many homogenous communities, children are only exposed to children who are like them. They only get exposure to other cultures by word of mouth, through the media, in the news. And this describes a lot of kids, not just any one group of children. Children from white communities, black communities, Hispanic communities, many associate with people who look more like them. It's part of human nature. We tend to associate with people who are more akin to ourselves. Overwhelming research shows that we're all guilty of stereotyping. Everybody. Researchers used to simply ask people to record their feelings about minority groups and then use those answers as an index of their attitudes on those groups. But let's be real here. If we were asked to put our feelings down on paper, that's going to last a long time. So people aren't necessarily going to tell the full truth. So maybe we won't even consciously know the beliefs that we're holding. And that's where unconscious stereotyping comes in. People don't want to be seen as stereotyping bigots. So they will write on this journal what they're supposed to say. So how do you find out what you actually think? Psychologists created an experiment to determine unconscious bias because a progressive individual might hold, you know, neo-Nazi biases and not even know it. So what they did is they show people a screen and in front of them they have two buttons. The buttons indicate whether this is a positive or a negative emotional response. So the screen will flash on it a stereotypically white name or a stereotypically black name, and alongside it, they'll show a positive or negative word. And they're recording your response time. So you're supposed to respond instantly. Most people, including African Americans with this, this isn't just a white people thing, responded more quickly when a positive word was paired with a white name and responded quickly when a negative word was paired with a black name. Remember, this is an exercise in stereotypes, so when I say white name and black name, we're talking stereotypically white and black names. 
Basically, the words and names flashed up so quickly and then disappeared, so you had to give an emotional response. The names were basically subliminal, and we were just determining, based on your response time, the emotional response to that thing. And using that, they can reveal unconscious bias. According to Mazarin Banaji, a psychology professor at Yale University who studies stereotypes for a living, she literally does this every day, all day, stereotypes might emerge from what social psychologists call in-group, out-group dynamics. Humans, basically like any other species, need to feel that they are part of a group. And for the most part, since we no longer live in villages, especially in the United States and parts of the West, we have identities that attach themselves to more ambiguous classifications. This is why race and class are so ingrained in a lot of Western societies, because since we aren't in a village, we're picking something else and glomping onto that. Banaji says that we want to feel good about the group that we belong to, and one way of doing so is to denigrate all those who aren't in it. And while we tend to see members of our own group as individuals, we view those in our outgroups, in other groups, as undifferentiated. We use stereotypes. We use mass definitions. The categories we use have changed, but it seems that stereotyping itself is bred in the bone. Again, this doesn't mean that stereotypes are bad inherently. We kind of come off saying all of these negative things about them. But stereotyping, if you remember from earlier might be good. It can also help us. I know what you're thinking. Like, there are positive stereotypes. Black guys, more athletic. Gay people dress really well and are good at home design. Jews are good with money and, you know, run everything. Russians can drink you under the table. Does this put social pressure on these people to fulfill these stereotypes? Absolutely it does. And actually, all of those things are pretty damn ignorant. So let's look at the science. Stereotyping is an ingrained function in our brain. It frees up processing power for us to do other things. We are bombarded with so much data throughout the day that if every time we saw a new tree, we looked at it as if we'd never seen a tree before, it wouldn't work very well. So stereotypes are a way to say, oh, that's a tree. I already know what trees are. I don't have to go and investigate it. According to Dr. Pamela Rutledge, director of the Media Psychology Research Center, Stereotyping is a way of processing information. It's a way to take something that's not familiar and put it in your brain next to something that makes sense. So is it wrong for a person to be more inclined to take one ride-sharing app-based car service over another ride-sharing car app service? You know, there are articles that have come out that say that car service A has drivers that are bad, that are dangerous. Car service B doesn't have that. So do we stereotype against all car service A people? Of course we don't, and we shouldn't. You are probably thinking that exact thing, right? But at the same time, we do that. A lot of people say, I'm not going to take that car service anymore because of a few bad apples. Now, this sounds bad again, because there are bad elements, but there are also benefits. There are reasons to be on alert, and these articles that came out to talk about how certain car sharing services had dangerous drivers, will make people be more safe when they do take those car services. So that's beneficial. It wasn't a stereotype that they reported the news. The stereotypes come when we start making decisions based on that rather than reality. To keep ourselves a little more politically correct, we do sometimes actively go against our nature to stereotype. And, you know, most of the time that's a good thing, because let's be real. 
People shouldn't be pigeonholed based on our preconceived generic stereotype notions that we've created. So let me put it this way. If you found yourself walking through a neighborhood and your past, your stereotypes that you've created made you feel like this neighborhood was dangerous, made you uncomfortable, so therefore you went on alert, that stereotype might be beneficial, especially if it turns out to be true. It could also be offensive to the people who live there, but that's a risk that you might be willing to take. Stereotypes are part of us because they've helped us survive this long. It's a little more tenuous when you talk about modern society. And, as we mentioned earlier, we're not necessarily talking about the stereotypes of a certain part of the forest or a certain sound that you might hear. We're talking about profiling people, and that's not necessarily good. But based on your experiences, your stereotypes inform your life. There's a quote from a psychologist, a winner of the 2002 Nobel Prize in Economics. His name's Daniel Kahneman. And uh, he said, resistance to stereotyping is a laudable moral position. But the simplistic idea that the resistance is costless is wrong. The costs are worth paying to achieve a better society. But denying that the cost exists while satisfying the soul and politically correct is not scientifically desirable. So let me break that down for you because it's kind of complicated. But basically what Kahneman is saying is that it's great. It feels really good to say, I resist stereotypes. However, there are times when a stereotype might save your life, might help you navigate a difficult social situation, might help you answer a question that you wouldn't have answered otherwise, and political correctness for the sake of it isn't always good. But it can be beneficial. And it feels great, and it is great, to say and try to not have those stereotypes. Stereotypes can be very bad. When we work with only our stereotypes, we're using information that's not real. It's information that only exists in our own minds. As we pointed out before, stereotypes is basically us being kind of shortcutty. We're taking information, we're distilling it, and then we're using similar information to fill in the blanks. Most stereotyping is very bad, and it can lead to some pretty messed up things in wider society if we don't realize that's what we're doing. Everything from the inability to create interpersonal relationships all the way to institutionalized racism can be traced back to this basic need or this basic tendency to stereotype. Stereotyping, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant it is, can lead to prejudice and ultimately discrimination if allowed to go forward unchecked. And as we said before, you can be a bleeding heart liberal or a diehard in the wool conservative and not hold a single conscious bias, but have a bunch of unconscious biases. There's a growing number of studies that show the link between hidden bias or unconscious bias and how that is transferred into outward behavior, how that affects everything that you do. Basically, we're saying your unconscious bias can become your actions. And these unconscious biases can be exacerbated when a person is under duress or in a stressful situation. You remember in The Matrix when that guy was all like, to really know someone, you have to fight them? This is sort of the same thing. When you are under stress, your unconscious biases spill out of you because your brain has what's called a cognitive load. 
And there's a theory called high cognitive load theory, which says that when your brain is stressed and trying to process lots of information, rather than churning through all the data, it's going to take shortcuts. It's going to try and grab for your stereotype files off of the shelf and use those stereotypical responses rather than looking at what's really going on. Unconscious beliefs and attitudes have been found to be associated with language and certain behaviors such as eye contact, blinking rates, and smiles, in that you do those behaviors when you're experiencing or drawing from an unconscious bias. If you can't get comfortable around someone, it could be because of an unconscious bias, a bias you didn't even realize that you have. So how can you expect to create a relationship with that person and then overcome that bias and learn more about that person? And that's ultimately how you break down a stereotype. What happens when that unconscious bias isn't aimed at a single person, but at a group of people? And that's when things get even more complicated because you can't learn about every single one of those people. And instead, you're just going to avoid that whole group and never break down that stereotype. This is where the idea of institutionalized racism, sexism, and even ageism can come into play because we just take a group of people, we stereotype about them, and then we cut them out. Not good. Studies have found that school teachers can be victims of this. They clearly apply prejudices to their students, even unconscious ones, carried by blinking rates, smiles, and eye contact. For example, if I have a prejudice against a student, even an unconscious one, I may not smile at them as often as I do this other student that I don't have an unconscious bias against. Students with different ethnicities or sex actually receive different educations by the same teacher in the same classroom. There are also studies on how doctors can treat patients differently based on cultural factors, prejudices, being less educated, poor, or of certain races. Some findings suggest that physicians make less enthusiastic efforts to save alcoholics, attempted suicide victims, drug addicts, prostitutes, vagrants, other groups as well, like racial groups. A quote from the New England Journal of Medicine reads that there is a subtle form of racial bias on the part of medical providers. The level and extent of this problem are unknown, but it's real and potentially harmful, even though predominantly unintentional. And that's the scary thing about stereotypes. If you don't recognize that they're there and you just let them go, they can do real harm. It goes so deep that studies have shown patients of color will receive different medicines for the same disorder than patients who are white because of stereotyping, even unconsciously. And that is messed up. The criminal justice system has to come to mind for a lot of people when we talk about stereotypes. We've all heard statistics about policing, about black mistreatment. Oxford journals showed that an all-white jury was 16% more likely to convict a black defendant than a white one. But if that jury had just one black member... They convicted a more consistent variation of races. Again, to break a stereotype, you just need to learn more about the people you're stereotyping against. Whenever you mix groups together, whenever you learn more about the group that you think that you know about, your stereotypes will change and break down. Politically, there are implications here as well. A study by the American Journal of Political Science found that white state legislators were less likely to respond to constituents with stereotypically African-American names. And this was true not from one political party, but from both here in the U.S. So stereotypes are pervasive and they're damaging. They can be helpful shortcuts 
And sometimes they can be impossible to escape from, but they're not impossible to overwrite, to change and to break down. And that simply has to do with being conscious that they exist. Knowing that you have a stereotype is the beginning of the road to overcoming that stereotype. We can consciously subvert our animal brains and actively try to not stereotype. It takes more energy for our brain to do that, but we can do it. Obviously, we're never going to 100% succeed. We can't cut every stereotype out of everything that we ever do. Let me go back to the fork example from earlier. You wouldn't want to have to redefine every fork actively every time you meet one. You know, whenever we finally meet aliens, you know, Vulcans, uh, we're going to stereotype the crap out of them. Vulcans are all so logical. But if we actively try not to do that, we could have one of the most meaningful relationships in the universe. You know, Spock and Kirk, it was pretty meaningful. And that's the key. Stereotypes are great for taking in lots of information and distilling it into something we can use. But you know what's better? Looking at the information again and again and again and breaking down the stereotypes that we thought were correct and finding what's really correct. Because it could be anything. Thanks so much, y'all, for hanging out with me here on Seeker Plus. I really hope you loved this episode. If you did, please leave us a rating, share this podcast with your friends, and if you have comments, come find us on Twitter at Seeker. You can find me out there too at Trace Dominguez. Make sure you come find us in all our other shows on YouTube and Facebook as well. I'm Trace. Thanks for listening. <laughs>